Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. You have come, we have found life everlasting. Now would like to know your freedom, never. Sunset 
Well, how are you, church? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. For those of you I haven't yet had the privilege of meeting, my name is Andrew Irwin, and I get to be one of the pastors here at the Vine Church. And I'm excited that I get to be with you. And as we pick back up with our message series that we've been calling Ruach. And if you're just joining us for this message series, you might be wondering, what does Ruach mean? Well, Ruach is actually a Hebrew word, and it means breath, wind, or spirit. And specifically in the Old Testament, it's the word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. And I hope that this series has been just a source of blessing for you. I know in my household it has been. I've actually been trying to use the word Ruach in as many different ways as I can. I've found that it's extremely helpful for when you step on a Lego. If you're... If you're struggling with some other words coming out, you can go with the solid Ruach and it makes you feel a little bit better. So it really has been a source of blessing for me and my family. And, and see, speaking of you know, sources of blessing, how, how many of you can believe that this week is Thanksgiving week? Anybody excited about that? Good, good, good. Do you already have your stretchy pants in place? Everybody... Good to go there. Your towel for when you get the meat sweats. Everybody's good, right? All right, good. Just making sure that you are prepped. We don't have any amateurs, no rookies for Thanksgiving in here. I want you to be at your best. I want your A game this week. But let's be honest. Today is not just recognizing that we're in Thanksgiving week. It's recognizing that we're only five weeks out from Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. Now, here's what I know. The people who just clapped... Those are our procrastinators, right? Because procrastinators get excited when they hear there's only five weeks until Christmas. Planners get stressed out. In fact, I've already lost all of the planners this morning. Like that note section of your bulletin just became your to-do list, didn't it, right? The planners are like five weeks out. I've got like, a, you know, they've got a spreadsheet going on already. They're trying to make sure that everything is put into place. Now, if you're not sure where you fall on the spectrum between procrastinator and planner, I've got some questions that'll help answer that for you. How many of you, by show of hands, have already done the majority of your shopping or at least have a game plan for how you're gonna get the bulk of your shopping done? How many of you, show of hands, are your planners... Yep, those are our planners. Their hands are up. They've already done the majority of it. They've got a plan for how they're going to do the majority of their Christmas shopping. How many of you have like thought a little bit about it and you've maybe picked up a few things and you've got a general outline or idea of what you're thinking about? How many of you fall in that camp? So you're kind of in between the procrastinator and the planner. How many of you have not thought at all about Christmas? How many of you? Interesting, okay. Now, I, I just... I have an observation to share with you all, okay? There was far more ladies with their hands raised to the first question and far more guys with their hands raised to that last question. It, it seems like at least in this congregation, in this spiritual community, that the majority of people who are ladies tend to be planners and the guys tend to be procrastinators. Now, that's just a, just a note from me, just trying to pass that on. I'm also curious, how many of you are planning on doing some some shopping this Friday. Anybody doing some shopping this Friday? Show of hands. Okay, we got some shoppers. Now, this, this is an important question because our country at this time of year goes a little bit crazy with consumerism, right? I mean, Black Friday, which is the day that historically for many retail organizations, that's when they cross from being in the red to being in the black. They, they have turned a profit for the year around that day. And it's a big shopping day. It's actually the most popular day to shop in our country. And what I love about it is that when Americans like, put their mind to something, they go big. Did you know that we actually set a shopping record last Black Friday? Americans spent 5 
billion last Black Friday in a 24-hour period. That's pretty remarkable. And you would think that the industry, like the retail industry would be going, wow, that is, that's pretty good. But I feel like they've gotten a little bit greedy. Like, I think they've gotten a little greedy. That's why they started kind of bringing the Black Friday sales into Thanksgiving, right? I mean, so that several, several companies tried to say, you know what, eat your turkey and then go do your shopping. And there was such a backlash against having the shopping happen on Thanksgiving that most of them have actually moved away from that. And they've actually moved any Thanksgiving day sales to their online platforms. Now, speaking of online, I think this is interesting. Black Friday sales are actually beginning for most places on Monday, not Cyber Monday, tomorrow Monday. And that, that's pretty crazy to think about because people are already getting their Christmas game face on, right? I mean, they're getting geared up for Christmas and we do that around Thanksgiving. And I know that because statistically speaking, did you know that 174 million Americans will go Christmas shopping between Black Friday and Cyber Monday? And that, in that time frame, basically over a weekend, 174 million Americans are going Christmas shopping. And the average amount that Americans are going to spend is $335 a piece. And that's actually only about a third of what Americans are going to spend in total between now and Christmas. The average American this year is going to be spending about $965 each, which not a big deal if you're a child, right? My seven-year-old, I told him that stat and he was not impressed in the least. All he wanted to know is if about a third of that would be dedicated to his Nintendo Switch or not, <laughs> right? That, that was really the only concern that he had. And I think it's different around this time of year because kids become laser focused on one thing and that is getting the perfect gift, right? If you're a child, man, this time of year is all about making sure you get the gift. Now, for some of you, it might, it might be searching for that Nintendo Switch. Maybe it's finding a Red Ryder BB gun. I don't know. I don't know what that means for your shopping list. But what I do know is that for parents, the game is very different. It's not about getting the, it's not about getting the perfect gift. It's about giving the perfect gift, isn't it? Well, today, what I want to talk to you about is how our perfect God, our perfect God gives us perfect gifts he gives us perfect gifts. And I'm not talking about Christmas gifts. I'm actually talking about charis gifts. And charis is the Greek word for grace. And so we're talking about grace gifts from our perfect heavenly father. And so we're gonna see that come to fruition in our scripture for today. And so if you brought your Bibles or have a Bible app, I'm gonna invite you to open with me to 1 Corinthians. We're gonna be in chapter 12. If you have a paper Bible and you're flipping along, if you hit 2 Corinthians, you've gone too far, okay? I'm just putting that out there. It's right in between Romans and 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we're looking at chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I want to give you just a little bit of context in what we're about to see. Because this was actually not a book. It's called a book of the Bible, but it's really a letter. And it was a letter written from a guy named Paul to a church that he helped start in the area of Corinth, which is in Greece. And so Paul's writing to them because he doesn't want them to be uneducated. He doesn't want them to be misinformed about a certain topic. And you might be thinking, why is it that this pastor helped start the church is writing to them? Like, why isn't he there? Well, the reason he wasn't there is because he actually started churches in a lot of different places. And when you think about a person who didn't just start one church, but a whole lot of churches, if you're like me, you probably go, wow, that, that guy must have like 
he must have been like born an evangelist. Like he must have been like fired up from the time he was a little kid to tell people about Jesus. And the reality is the opposite was true. You see, when Paul was young, he wasn't a church planner. He was a church persecutor. (laughs) When all of his friends were kind of doing their things on the weekend, he would for fun go and round up Christians so that they could be captured or maybe killed. He was the opposite of a friend of the faith. He was a foe of the faith. And so you might wonder, well, how, how is it a guy who went from trying to destroy the church became a person who was just so sold out to building up the church? How, how does that happen? Well, something dramatic happened to him. He had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And, and when you encounter somebody who says in advance that they're going to die and come back from the dead and they actually pull it off, you do what they say, right? If you encounter someone who tells you, hey, by the way, I'm gonna be dying soon, but don't, don't, don't get upset. Three days later, I'll be back. I'll be back, it's fine, okay? And then they pull it off. You have no choice but to trust in them. And that's exactly the position that Paul found himself in. He encountered the risen Jesus, the same one who died on a cross, had come back from the dead and interacted with Paul. And because of that, his life was forever changed. And he began to write these these beautiful letters to these churches that he helped start. And because of his writing, we can learn so much about the early church and so much about our current church. It's so important for us to pay attention to Paul's words because they carry so much weight for us today. And that's why I wanna make sure you understand why we're digging into this. See, Paul was very concerned that the church in Corinth was not informed on the subject of spiritual gifts or grace gifts. And he wanted to make sure that they came to understand it. And you know how Paul knew that the church in Corinth wasn't up to date on what they needed to know about spiritual gifts? Because they fell into the comparison trap. Have you ever found yourself comparing gifts with other people? I don't know what Christmas morning looked like in your household, but for mine, I have, I'm the oldest of three. I've got two younger siblings. And, and my parents told us very early on that we were not to go downstairs on Christmas morning until they were already downstairs. Okay, so we couldn't like sneak downstairs and come back up because I was convinced they would know and the presents would disappear, right? And so what we would do is we would basically line up at the top of the stairs like it was like the Indy 500. And, and as soon as my parents like got downstairs and into position, then they would say, you can come now. And it was like, boom. I mean, it was like, we were all in. We would like sprint down the stairs, like run through the, like run through the foyer, through the kitchen and into the living room. And what we would immediately start doing is going through the presents and assigning who they were to, right? So we were just passing the presents to each other and making piles to make sure that everybody had their gift pile in front of them. And then as soon as the piles were completed, you know what we'd start doing? Start making the side eyes. You know, you're checking out both sides of you to see, did you get more presents than me? It looks like, why is that present bigger than my present? Right? You start making comparisons about the presents. And here's what was interesting. When we were younger, my parents would say, well, hey, everybody got the same number of gifts. But as we got older, they were no longer able to do the same number of gifts because, well, I was the oldest and I was requesting gifts that were a little bit nicer, right? They cost a little bit more money. And so my parents would tell us, hey, we didn't get you all the same number of gifts. We just spent the same on each of you. And since, and since I had the fewest gifts, I still don't believe that to this day, but that's what they told us. Okay, so that they would tell us that, but we would spend the whole morning really just comparing who got what, 
And if somebody, somebody got something I wanted, I was mad. Uh, if, if I didn't get something I wanted, I was mad. And because I was playing the comparison game in which there is no winners, a lot of my Christmas mornings were pretty sad. Now, you don't have to have had a childhood like mine to understand this comparison game that we play when it comes to gifts. How many of you maybe have had an office exchange of gifts where you gave a gift to somebody and you immediately realized that the gift that you gave to them was way nicer than the gift they gave to you? Yeah, in that moment, you're like, what just happened? You're like, I mean, you like had like, you went shopping and got a thoughtful gift that was like really nice just for them. And they were like, they went into last year's reject pile and gave you something, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's not good. And you're, you do the comparison thing. Or I think this is actually worse. When, when you actually receive a gift from somebody that is super nice and super thoughtful and you give them a necktie or a sweater or something that you picked up at the dollar store, right? And in that moment, you realize their gift was way better than the one you gave to them. And you instantly shrink down and feel about this big as you leave that gift exchange. Or as one person in the church came up to me after the service and said, actually, when, when I get the better gift, I feel like I just won the exchange. But I don't know. I, I always feel worse when I get the, the better gift than I have given. I think the reality is we're all familiar with this idea of comparing gifts. And unfortunately, this isn't just limited to Christmas gifts that we do it. We do this with our charis gifts too. And that's what Paul was seeing in the church in Corinth. And unfortunately, we still see it in the church today. So let's pick up reading with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And we're going to see what Paul has to say about this idea of spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I just wanna pause there real quick. This is not this morning's message, but it is an important note. It's our responsibility just to tell people about Jesus. It is not our responsibility to force others to trust in Jesus. We tell, and it's up to the Holy Spirit to lead them to trust. We tell, Holy Spirit leads them to trust. Are we tracking? All right, that's important for us to note. All right, let's keep going. Verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, for the common good. And we're gonna come back to that. But I wanna actually jump in where Paul jumps in. In verse one, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. He's essentially saying, guys, you're ignorant on the subject of spiritual gifts and I want to provide the knowledge that you need. Now, I wish I could say that the church today, 2000 years later, has gotten this figured out, that we are no longer uninformed on the subject of spiritual gifts. But recent research tells me that that's just not true. There was a recent study that was conducted that found that about two-thirds of followers of Jesus, Christians in America, are only somewhat comfortable with the idea of spiritual gifts. They're just somewhat knowledgeable on this subject matter. And 
To make it worse, they asked a question in that study that I found fascinating. They said, hey, can you list, this is writing, this is Christians responding. Christians, can you list some spiritual gifts from the Bible? Well, one in five Christians responded to that by adding gifts that were not in the Bible. Did you know what the number one gift not in the Bible that people like quoted as being a spiritual gift is? Sense of humor. Now, I know that you all wish that was a spiritual gift and more so you wish that I had it. Sorry, it's not a gift and I don't have it, okay? Don't have that one. Uh, just, just to set the record straight, those of you who think you have the spiritual gift of sarcasm, not a gift. For those of you who think because you can name that tune after hearing four beats of the song, not a spiritual gift. Those of you who have a movie line for every moment, not a spiritual gift. I just want to make sure we're on the same page about that. Gifts are different than those items. And in order to make sure we're clear about that, I want to go through three important principles that Paul lays out for us concerning spiritual gifts. And here's the first one. Here's the first one. Gifts are from God and for God. Gifts are from God and for God. There's a reason that they're called charis gift. Charis is the word for grace, right? And grace is a free and undeserved gift that has been given to us. It's a gift that we cannot earn. Well, grace gifts are the exact same way. It's a gift that we cannot earn. We cannot be good enough to get it. We can't join a certain club. We can't serve enough to be given it. No, just as grace is freely given unto us, grace gifts are also freely offered to us. And the beautiful thing is that the Holy Spirit is the one who determines which gifts we will receive and what measure we will receive it in. It's up to the Holy Spirit to discern what is best for us and what is best for the body of Christ. Because each of these gifts was given so that we can accomplish God's will in this world. I want to be clear about this. The Holy Spirit has not given you a spiritual gift so that you can build your little kingdom here. The Holy Spirit has given you a spiritual gift so that you can help bring God's kingdom here. That's why those gifts have been given to you. They were bestowed upon you for a much higher purpose than your specific gain. You didn't make that gift. It was given to you by God so that you can use it for God's purposes. And this is so important for us. We've, we've got to begin understanding that. Because when the Holy Spirit gives the body of Christ gifts, he does so with the intention of us coming together, locking arms and being a picture of the mature Jesus. When we are all functioning within the gifts that we have been given, we look like a mature picture of Jesus. And the mature, the mature Jesus who came, lived, died and rose from the dead, he came with a singular purpose. And that purpose was to seek and save the lost. And so that's why we've been given gifts so that we as a body, so as we as a faith community can seek and save the lost. And we see that happening in a number of ways that I think we don't even recognize. Like for instance, a few weeks ago at our Flowery Branch campus, we hosted a fifth quarter event for Cherokee Bluff High School. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with football, there's typically four quarters in a football game. And so we had a fifth quarter, basically. We had a, a gathering fall immediately following the football game um, because what we heard from parents in the community is that teenagers on Friday nights after football games tend to not make good decisions. Shocker. 
So what we decided to do was create a space where they could come and make wiser decisions in a supervised area while still hanging out with their friends. And so what we do is we create a, a space with free food. You wanna reach teenagers? Feed them, right? So we give them free food and we, create, we have music going. We have games set up for them to play and just let them hang out. And we have a great time doing it. And what was really cool is just a few weeks ago, one of those fifth quarter events, there was a guy named Christian who had never been to our church before. He's a teenager. He had seen the building, but he had never been there. But he came to a fifth quarter event and he had a blast. He ate hot dogs and shot hoops. He was happy. That was pretty much all it took for him. And because he had such a good time, he and his siblings came back on Sunday morning. They heard the truth about who Jesus is how he lived a sinless life, how he died on a cross, how he came back from the dead so that he might really live. And that Sunday morning, he professed his faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? But I think we hear stories like that and we miss something. We think, oh man, it's so good that Christian was able to hear from somebody who had the gift of teaching, who had the gift of evangelism, and he responded to the gospel because he heard that. <laughs> That's not the real story there. The real story is that people from within this faith community, this body of Christ, who have the gift of, gift of helps or service, came together to create a safe place for teenagers in our community. And they flipped burgers, they picked up trash, they set up games, and they patrolled an area to keep everyone safe. And because they did that, he felt safe, accepted, and loved enough to come back and hear the good news of the gospel. He doesn't hear the gospel without those people using their gifts of service or helps. Those people gave sacrificially so that he might live for eternity. That's the real story because that's what our gifts are given to do. When we are all operating out of our gifts, we get to see amazing things happen. And it's not because the pastor's on stage doing his thing. It's because the body of Christ is working together as one unit to bring heaven here. And I don't know about you, but I want to see more of that. And that's why it's so important for us to begin operating out of our spiritual gifts, because they're all equal. None are better than in any of the others. And so we need to grasp that. And for those of you who are going, yeah, 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 pastor, we get it. We know what your spiritual gifts are. You're up there pastoring. You're up there teaching. Well, we get it. Listen, nobody with the gift of pastoring or teaching or evangelism, to my recollection, has ever been brought back from the dead. But there's a story in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, of a woman named Tabitha or, or Dorcas. We'll go with Tabitha just for her sake. Tabitha, <laughs> who has the spiritual gift of helps. That's, what, that's her gifting. And the Lord decided to bring her back because her gift was making such a dramatic impact for the kingdom of God here on earth. No evangelist has gotten that treatment, not even Billy Graham, but Tabitha did using her gift of helps. These gifts matter and we need to operate in them. And so here's the second thing I think Paul really wants us to know this morning. It's that all followers of Christ, all Christ followers have at least one gift. All Christ followers have at least one gift. And this is important for us to recognize because I've talked to a lot of Christians who operate under like the impression that on, that gifts are only given to like the super spiritual, right? Like if you're not part of the spiritual SEAL Team 6, then you don't get a gift. No, 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 no. Each Christ follower is given a gift. 
Well, we just have to name them, claim them, and walk in those gifts. And I think we get confused sometimes because we, we, we begin blurring the lines between natural talents and these supernatural gifts. And so let, let, me, let me help like just kind of parse that out for a second. When you talk about natural born talents, and those are things like people who are just born as great athletes, right? They've just got innate natural ability or people who are just like very intellectual. They're, they just have a higher IQ or a higher capacity to think in unique ways. Or, or you think about people who are just like born artists or have these musical inclinations from the time that they were little. Those are natural born talents. Those are different than our spiritual gifts. You see, you have those talents when you're born. You get spiritual gifts when you're reborn. See, when you have that moment of being born of the spirit and grace of God, then the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And when he takes up residence in you, he gives you at least one gift. And many followers of Jesus have multiple gifts that they can use, not for their sake, but for the sake of everyone around them. But if we don't operate with the recognition that we have those gifts, then there's this, there's this bent within us to become a little bitter towards God because we look at the gifts of others and we get jealous of them. I've had that experience myself. When I was early in my faith, I had the privilege of being surrounded with some people who had the spiritual gift of intercession. And if you're unfamiliar with that, it's these people who, who can just naturally connect to the heart of God and they stand in the gap between God and his children when they're in times of need. And so in times of crisis, you'll have an intercessor who, who will begin praying and they don't pray like short shotgun prayers where they just fire it off and hope it hits something. They, they pray prayers where they hit their knees and they don't move, sometimes for hours or even days. They'll go through seasons where they, they pray without ceasing in order to connect people to the heart of God and for God to move on behalf of his, his kids. And, and I, I've been around those kinds of people and there's part of me that looks at them and they go, wow, like, wow. Like, you're so amazing. It's your ability to connect to the heart of God. Like, why, why don't I have that? Why isn't that my gift? And I, I can become jaded and bitter and mad that other people got gifts that I didn't get. But the reality is God didn't give us all gifts so that we could boast or brag. He gave us gifts so that we could build up. That's what those gifts are for. And so what I need to focus on is not how other people are using their gifts to connect to the heart of God, but how I can use my gifts to connect others to the heart of God. I'm responsible for being a good steward of the gift that God has placed into my hands. And to illustrate this, I had this great idea. What I really, here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have like a bunch of envelopes this morning that had different amounts of like money in them. Like I was gonna give like some envelopes with a $1 bill and like $10 bills and some envelopes with hundreds, some envelopes with thousands. And I was just like gonna give them out to everybody to like illustrate that everybody gets different gifts. Then I realized I'm not Oprah and I can't do that. <laughs> I mean, I really wanted to have like that, you get a gift, you get a gift, you get a gift kind of moment. And it just didn't come to fruition because I just didn't have that kind of cash. And as I was processing like my failed attempt at that illustration, I realized that Oprah's got a lot of cash. God's wealthier. Oprah could give a lot of gifts. God can give more. And so the reality is I can't give you a cash gift this morning, but my hope is that you'll walk out of here with the recognition that you've already received a Karis gift. 
And your Karis gift, it's priceless. It's a gift chosen specifically for you by the Spirit of God to do what only you can do, to complement your innate wiring, your innate skills, talents, and abilities to bring God's kingdom here. And that's already in you. So you know what? You do get a gift and you get a gift and you get a gift. You all get gifts. And maybe it's not the gift you were looking for or the gift you wanted, but it's a gift that's been given to you on purpose for a purpose. Not your purpose, but God's purpose for you and everybody around you. These gifts matter. And that's why we gotta pay attention to them. And so here's, I think, the third thing that Paul would really have us to grab hold of this morning in understanding these gifts. It's this, gifts are given to be given away. Gifts are given to be given away. See, these gifts, as we've already mentioned, they're not from you and they're not for you. They're grace gifts. Grace has been freely received by all who claim to be followers of Christ. It's time for us to freely give that grace away to other people. But I talk to people sometimes who feel like they can't. They can't give that grace away. And, and most of the time when a person refuses to give the gifts away that they've been given, it's because they have a scarcity mindset. They feel like that their, their gift will run out. Here's the thing. We're talking about grace gifts and we're talking about God Almighty. And God's grace for us has no bounds, has no limits. It is unfailing. It is never ending. When it comes to God's grace, you can't use it all up. And you might say, well, pastor, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't. But I know that God's grace is sufficient for you because I've found that God's grace is sufficient for me. And you don't know where I've been and what I've done. But here's what I know. God's grace has covered both me and you. And it's enough to cover every person you've ever encountered. God's grace doesn't end. And neither does God's gifts. In fact, what you'll discover is that the more you give God's gifts away, the more gifts you receive. It's, it's crazy how this happens. But so often we operate with the scarcity mindset that says, well, my gift's gonna run out. Mm -mm. Nope. The only way your gift runs out is if you hold it like this. When you operate with a clenched fist, there's no way that God can give you any more. That's why it's important for you, if you walked in like this, to take your hand and turn it over. And yes, you might go, yeah, but somebody, somebody might take some of that. It might run out. It might slip between your fingers. Yep. But if you don't operate like this, then God can't put any more in. The more you give away, the more you can get for you and for those around you. Now, this is an important lesson for the Irwin family right now. I have a beautiful four-year-old daughter named Abby Grace. She's got like crazy curly hair and enough sass to like knock anybody out, right? I mean, she's like super spunky. She's got all the attitude in the world. And right now we're in a season of competitiveness. My four-year-old daughter is hyper competitive. She will cheat in Candyland like that. 
Uh, it's, it's not cool. We're, we're working diligently on trying to get her to understand why we don't cheat. But she's so competitive that she always feels like she has to be first. She has to be best. She's got to be the winner. And because of that, she doesn't give anything to anyone. She operates like this all the time. And so we have fights in the Irwin household between my, my seven-year-old son and my four-year-old daughter where, where they are bickering back and forth about whatever it is that the other one has because that's the only toy in the house that has any value at that moment, correct? Right? When one child has something, that's the only toy that matters at that point. And so in, the, in our household, they fight a lot. And so what I've taken to doing with my four-year-old daughter is I'll just walk up to her and I'll do this. And she knows exactly what that means. It means that you can continue to do this, but you're not getting any more. You can cling to the toys you have now. With that attitude, you're not gonna get anything else. And she's come to the conclusion that she wants more toys. And so she's got to operate like this. But it's a hard lesson for her to grasp. Just like it's a hard lesson for all of us to grasp that we need to operate within our spiritual gifts knowing that they're not actually activated for us. They're activated for the good of others. And sometimes that's hard. Um, Pastor David was actually telling me a story recently of a time when he was, um, uh, began serving at his previous church. And he had only been at his previous church for a couple months when he realized pretty clearly that they needed to have re-auditions for the band. There's only one reason you have re-auditions for a band, and I think we all know what that is. There's someone in the band who doesn't need to be in the band, and that was true. And so they did the re-auditions, and there was a, a particular singer, a female singer named Annette, who didn't make the cut. And so Pastor David had, the, had that hard conversation with her and, and thought that it was resolved until the next morning when he got to his office and had voicemail, somewhat threatening voicemail, from Annette that was over two minutes long of her explaining why she was so hurt and frustrated by this decision. And so Pastor David said, I'd love to call her and said, I'd love to get together with you and have a face-to-face -face conversation. And so she agreed and she came to his office and she began immediately explaining why it was that she was so hurt by this decision. And she said something that just jumped out at him. She said, you've taken away my one spiritual gift. And he stopped her and said, whoa, Singing's not a spiritual gift, to which she replied, so I don't have any gifts? <laughs> and he said, no, the opposite is true. You do have a gift. And he walked her through a gifts test, a gifts inventory to help her discover what her gifts were. And then he asked her, wait, what, what are your passions? What are you excited about in the life of the church? And she said, youth, I love teenagers. And he said, well, it looks like your gifts and your passions would do better to have you serving in the student ministry. And so she started serving in the student ministry. And a year later, she came back to him and thanked him for those auditions in which her spiritual gift was taken away from her so that she could step into her true spiritual gift and to her true passion. And she could find true fulfillment in the church. This morning, my hope and my prayer for you is that you can operate from a place of understanding your spiritual gifts so that you can build up the body of Christ and help us advance the mission of making disciples, making disciples. That's what I want for you. 
And that's why I've got a couple of resources here that I want to extend to you. The first is a, is a spiritual gifts test. If you haven't done so yet, I would encourage you to go to the website that we set up specifically for this series. It's called Ruach TVC, as in the Vine Church, Org, ruachtvc.org. And on there, there's a resources section. And on there, there's a link to this test. It's a gifts test. You can take it 100% for free. And it'll give you an idea of what some of your spiritual gifts are. And so I'd encourage you to do that. If you're not aware of what your gifts are, find out what they are. Because you're never gonna be fulfilled until you're operating in the gift that has already been given to you. And the second, second thing I wanna invite you to do is to take a look at the sheet of paper that was placed on your seat when you got here. No, this was not for paper airplanes, okay? This was placed there on purpose. This was there to let you know that we have opportunities for you to serve in the body of Christ. And some of you might be going, oh good, the pastor's up there with another guilt trip about how we should be serving. Nope, this isn't a guilt trip. Because when it comes to serving the body of Christ, when it comes to serving Jesus's church, we're not going to beg anybody to serve. We're not. We're going to invite you to serve because you're never more like Christ than when you're serving, which is why you have the opportunity today to look at where your gifts align with your passions and figure out how you can serve in the life of the church. We've listed specific opportunities for you to consider stepping into so that you can find fulfillment here in the body of Christ, living out the faith that has been placed within you and giving the gift away that's been given freely to you. See, we as a leadership in our church are convinced that the only way for us to bring heaven here is for everybody who's a part of our church to be operating in the gifts that they've been freely given and seeking God in the areas where they're passionate so that we can connect people to the heart of God. And you get to be a part of that. What an incredible gift that all of us have been offered today. Keep in mind, God's almighty and all powerful. He doesn't need me and he doesn't need you to accomplish his will for this world. He's invited us to serve because it's a gift. This morning, my prayer is that you'll lay hold of that gift, that you'll walk in it, you'll live in it, and you'll love in it, just as Jesus has done for you. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soul, I surrender, you are breaking new ground, so I yield to you and to your careful hands, when I trust you I don't need to understand, make me your vessel, make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. In the cry. 
Jesus, bring 